You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to episode number 326 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, May 2nd. Monday, May 2nd? It's Wednesday. What? It's Wednesday, May 2nd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of LockedOnRaptors.com and RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter at WoodleySean. Find the show at LockedOnRaptors, uh, where you can find links to every single episode. Of course, make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. you got Locked On Fantasy with Josh Lloyd, Locked On NBA with both David Locke and a whole array of hosts from around the network doing daily shows on that feed as well. And you can find them all together on the Locked On NBA iTunes channel. Also, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Home, Google Play, Alexa, whatever you want, you can find the podcast there and uh, and listen to it however you please. Uh, please, if you find Locked On Raptors on iTunes, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It's uh, very helpful. makes us more popular. We've been uh, kind of hanging around the top 100 in the rankings so far during the playoffs, and uh, I very much appreciate those who have listened and new listeners and all that stuff. And uh, if you are a new listener and you have yet to leave a review or a rating, it, it really is the best way to help out the show, show that you care. And, uh, you know, it's free content. So this little little tiny bit I'm asking, it's all I, uh, it's all I ask and uh, it's all I really need from you. And other than that, I would be forever indebted to to you if you take the time uh all right i asked off the top of the show how everyone's doing i should have known the answer to that everyone's doing terribly um the raptors lost to the Cavs, 113 112 in overtime in game one on tuesday night today i'm going to talk about all of it i'll talk about what went poorly what went well i got a couple listener questions i'll get to as well at the end uh yeah this is uh you know not the yeah, the, the result I think people were looking for, obviously, uh, and I think because it was so close at the end and because the Raptors had a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter and choked it away, uh, there's lots of hand-wringing and lots of takes and lots of uh, psychologists diagnosing the Raptors with all manner of psychological disabilities or whatever the hell you want to call it, so we'll get into all that, and uh, I don't know, there's a million things we can talk about, so... Uh, yeah, let's just do it now, I suppose. Let's uh, let's start this thing off. Apologies, it's coming late. I, I was at the mechanic all day waiting for my car to get fixed, and uh, it took a lot longer than they said it was, and I uh, did not have anywhere to record. So, uh, actually, it probably worked out well, because it gave me some time to kind of marinate on this game a little bit, and I think that's probably useful. Um, you know, the the, the the instant reactions last night, I was probably being a little bit too dismissive of some of the people losing their minds. I think some of the people losing their minds were probably losing their minds a little bit too much. Uh, that's kind of the nature. Right after a game, you're kind of in your own opinions and you're not really listening to other people. So if I was mean to you last night on Twitter or something like that, I apologize. But I think my sentiment from last night probably is going to be mostly reflected here um, and kind of my sentiment always because... Ultimately, they're a very good basketball team, the Raptors are, and it's hard to get too, too mad at what they do. Um, so my sentiment that things are probably fine will probably be translated over to this podcast as well, but I'll acknowledge definitely some things that went poorly. Uh, let's start with the bad stuff first, I guess, and then we'll get to the good stuff in uh, the second part of the show. Uh, and I guess the bad stuff really begins with the fourth quarter. We can talk about the second quarter in a bit, but the fourth quarter is really where everything kind of went to crap. Uh, Raptors, of course, were leading five, leading by five going into the fourth, uh, had played pretty much even over the course of the previous 
a uh, little while, and you know the third quarter was back and forth. The Raptors won it by two, but it was a, it was a very close back and forth quarter, and it could have gone out of the way. The Raptors did a good job, I think, of withstanding a lot of Cavs runs and kind of you know bouncing up with their own little runs to kind of respond to those. That was nice to see, as opposed to just giving up one enormous Cavs run that put them you know behind in the game. The Raptors kept their lead uh, until the fourth quarter. Uh, it was kind of crucial at the start of the fourth quarter. I was feeling really good because. At the start of the fourth, the Raptors had kind of forced LeBron into some strange substitution patterns. I guess Ty, Ty Lue, you know, pulling LeBron out for strange substitution patterns. Normally, LeBron will play the whole th- first and third quarters and rest, rest a little bit at the start of the second and fourth. That wasn't the case. I think Ty Lue was very, very conscious of how good the Raptors bench unit is and decided to pull LeBron with a couple minutes left in the first and the third quarters to kind of have him ready to go out there against the against the bench unit against the bench unit. Sorry, um, it was actually interesting. In the third quarter when Ty Lue did that, Dwayne Casey kind of responded by throwing the bench mob out there in its entirety a lot earlier than we'd normally see it. Of course, we've seen that weird DeRozan with the bench unit that has not been very good so far uh, kind of close out second, first and third quarters, but instead it was the mob that closed out the third quarter, um, and I think that was a nice little you know bit of you know mo- maneuverability by, by Dwayne Casey, a little bit of uh, give in his rotational staunchness, I suppose, um, uh, to have the bench out there against the, the bad Cavs lineup. Unfortunately, that lineup did not do particularly well. They went a minus one against the non-LeBron minutes and then kind of played LeBron even for a little bit to start the fourth, which I thought was encouraging. Gave Kyle and DeMar a little bit of time to sort of hang on the bench and come in fresh. And, you know, after they kind of hung with a lineup that had both LeBron and Love on late in the game, uh, to start the fourth quarter, I was like, all right, this, this looks pretty good. Kyle and DeMar will come in. The starters have been excellent so far, and, uh, you know, maybe this one will be closed out relatively easily in, in sort of similar fashion to a lot of the games in the Wizards series where it was closed for a long time. The Raptors come in, make a run with about six minutes left, and you don't even get to crunch time because the Raptors have blown it open by then. That wasn't the case, of course, because... The Raptors' offense kind of dried up. Uh, I believe the final body count, or whatever you want to call it, at the end of the game was the Raptors missed uh, 17 of the last 20 shots. They missed 11 straight shots uh, to close the the fourth quarter before overtime kicked in. Um, I think the only points they got were a couple free throws. Uh, Serge Ibaka got uh, fouled on a three, which was like not really a foul. <laughs> if you want to talk about ref conspiracies, uh, Cleveland might have a case after this game. We can get to that. I uh, probably won't because I don't really give a shit about refs. But either way, uh, Serge Ibaka got those three free throws. There were a couple other free throws mixed in there, I think. Um, but other than that, it was... Uh, you know, the Cavs kind of making a run and coming back, and the Raptors just bricking everything. Um, the thing about what happened in the fourth quarter, and, and maybe this ties more into... Actually, I'll get to the good stuff about the fourth quarter in a little bit. The, the bad stuff in the fourth quarter. There were a few possessions where it was just listless, man. It took a long time to develop. There was the one, I think, that was the most uh, damning and really sort of turned the tide of the game, I thought, was the Kyle Lowry possession, where late in the game... I'm not exactly sure what the time of the game was at this point. I'm going to pull up my notes here. But uh, the Raptors have this long possession. They don't get much out of it. Uh, it ends up with Kyle uh, trying to attack a LeBron switch, not really doing it. Then it, uh, Tristan Thompson switched on to him in a pick and roll. J.R. Smith kind of came over to help and kind of left uh, Lowry stranded. Serge Ibaka was kind of through a thicket of arms uh, on the other side of the trap that Lowry just couldn't get through. And it led to Kyle taking a timeout with like 2.6 seconds left on the shot clock. Pretty ill-advised timeout, I thought, uh, at that point in the game. Like, I, I mean, just cut your losses at that point. If it's a lost possession, it's a lost possession. Um, but to sort of add in 
insult to injury, the, the Raptors come out and get a five-second violation trying to get the inbound. And that was just, uh, you know, kind of indicative. There were a lot of possessions, I think, that kind of swung the momentum in this in the fourth quarter and sort of the feel in the building. Maybe not momentum per se, because it's not like the Cavs are not a crazy run or anything. Um, but just you could tell the tension in the building kind of ratcheted up with a few. There was that one a little bit before that was CJ Miles missing a wide open three when it was like 94-86. Like unbelievably wide open. I don't know how he got so wide open. He misses that. And then on the other end, Kevin Love pump fakes and then hits a three to make it 94-89. And that was where it really kind of felt like the tide was turning and the Cavs are going to very much make this into a game. But yeah, later on, there were still some clunky offensive possessions. You know, they went to Jonas quite a bit. Jonas attacked uh, Tristan Thompson off the dribble a few times. And it worked earlier in the game. And Jonas had a great night. And we can talk about Jonas's great night as well. Um, but late in the game, he just couldn't finish. He was getting to the rim on Thompson. Thompson was doing a good job of contesting the shots at the rim. Jonas had a couple putbacks that he just missed that he would normally hit. I mean, it was shades of the first round against Indiana a couple years ago where he would shoot like 5 of 19 because he had 11 offensive boards and missed 10 of the putbacks and just kind of uh, ruined his own stats that way. Very much the same in this game. Uh, And then, of course, we all know what happened at the end of regulation with the four putbacks after a wide open Fred Van Vliet missed a three that would have put the Raptors up and might have sealed the game. I think there was about six seconds left on the clock when he put that shot up. Um, And then the Raptors had four offensive putbacks none of them went down insanely bad luck I don't know if it was like they were rushed I saw some people out there saying that like that was a sign of their mental fragility or whatever I disagree with that entirely because uh, it was happening so fast I don't think there was time to think about anything think about demons or anything like that Uh, it was just like bang bang trying to get offensive rebounds CJ Miles like he had two of them I believe and DeMar had one of them, Jonas had one, you know, CJ and DeMar aren't exactly dudes who are always going up for putbacks, their touch is probably not the same as, as Jonas would be in that situation, or Jakob Pertl or whoever, um, and it just, they didn't go down, and it was frustrating as hell. I think everyone in the building thought LeBron was going to hit that shot he put up with half a second left on the clock on the other end of the fl- of the floor after the scramble for that rebound, but um, that, that of course missed and went to OT. Uh, and then sort of the, the lazy offense kind of carried over into the fourth quarter a little bit. Kyle had just an awful turnover. He was pretty bad from about like four minutes left in regulation to about two minutes left in overtime. He just had a really bad stretch where uh, he had a bad turnover to DeMar. And I think the biggest thing for me with Kyle was he was just like very passive. And it was a bummer because early in the game, he talked about this after the game and just how the, the starting five looked so good. And a lot of it was just them running off of misses and attacking, attacking, attacking. Uh, and Kyle was not doing that. And in, in fairness, LeBron James was put on him late in the game. But at the same time, early in the game, Kyle blew by LeBron for a layup in the first quarter. Uh, and it was kind of shocking. Like, oh, oh, this is a thing now with LeBron. Like, he's just not going to defend. He doesn't have the lateral quickness or the will to defend a guy like Kyle Lowry in, open, in the open floor. Um, and Kyle did not look at all comfortable or even sort of like, he didn't look like he had the desire to attack the switches when, when or, or the you know just the the one-on-one defense and ISO situation ISO situations when LeBron was on him and that was a bummer because it kind of you know just took out one of the options one of the best options for the team Kyle didn't take many shots late in regulation he had one three I think that missed uh, but then in overtime he kind of took over a little bit kind of got his groove back a little bit late in the game um, he missed a, a three that you know was a shot that you're happy to take uh, you're happy with him taking it it was a dribble handoff in overtime uh, from Jonas he was three of six from the night. Uh, on the night from three, so like I think you take that miss a hundred times out of a hundred from Kyle. Um, and then he made a, an and one late to make it 
113-112, which was excellent. It was, it was a nice, you know, another example of attacking quickly in the shot clock. Uh, he kind of came right down, drove on Kevin Love, cut, picked up the foul, and scored the bucket. Um, so that was nice to see. But there was that just stretch where Kyle was just so passive. He had Tristan Thompson a few times guarding him, and he just did not take it to him either. Um, and like the Raptors, for the most uh, for the most part, were doing a good job, especially in the first half, of taking it to the the Cavs bigs when they had switches or you know or in situations where you know they just had it in front of them, and it just. Didn't didn't translate at all to uh, to the fourth quarter and, and crunch time, and, and Kyle did not look you know super aggressive in those situations, which was which was a bummer. Um, other than that, though, like I don't think the offense was all that bad, and the defense I think was pretty good as well. Uh, another like there's so much good from this game that the the bad stuff section is probably not going to be quite as long as the good stuff section. I mean, the late game offense was brutal. Yes. Uh, other than that, like I don't think you could really have many complaints about how the Raptors played this game. Um, there was one play late in the game. It was kind of a killer. OG had a great contest on LeBron. Uh, Tristan Thompson grabs the air ball that Le- LeBron puts up over Jonas, uh, beats the shot clock, and puts the Raptors down six. And that kind of felt like it. That was 113-107. And at that point, there was like two minutes left, and it kind of felt like it was over. Raptors kind of battle back a little bit, play some excellent defense, and, uh, and, and you know, have a ch- ch- chance at the end to win. And you get Fred VanVleet with another open three, less open than the one he had at the end of regulation, but still a shot that you're happy with Fred VanVleet taking. Uh, after DeMar had an ISO situation, he drove, a bunch of guys collapsed, and he talked about after the, how after the game he was, you know, he knew Fred likes to relocate for him around the three-point line when the defense collapses, so he knew he was going to be there. Uh, it was a good bit of synergy between those two, and then Fred just missed a shot. Whether Fred should have been out there, maybe that's another question. I had pretty much no problem with Dwayne Casey's rotations in this game. I thought he did a pretty good job of matching up with with uh, with, Ty, with Ty Lue and what he had out there. And like I mentioned, sort of changing up the rotation with the, with the mob to get him away from LeBron as much as possible. I thought that was smart. Um, but other than that, yeah, the, the, the Fred thing was a little bit perplexing. He kind of went down. I think there was like eight minutes left or so in the fourth quarter. Went down a little bit, was holding his arm. Um, and of course, like you're worried as hell about Sir, uh, Fred VanVleet's shoulder right Right now because as Eric Kareen reported there's like a six-week window where this could be re-injured and you know every time he's out there there's a risk of him doing more damage to it and getting knocked out for presumably the rest of the playoffs um, so whether or not he was totally right he was one of five from deep last night one of five from deep in game six against the Wizards on Friday still a small sample but you know maybe you can sort of infer that there's something going on with a shooting stroke because of his arm you know a couple of his shots especially against the Wizards were short um, so maybe there's still something to that um, so yeah, I was kind of perplexed that, that Fred was out there. You get, you want his shooting though, and you want his defense. His defense is still more dogged than say, you know, CJ Miles or, or whoever. I mean, if George Hill's out there, having Fred VanVleet on the court's not a bad idea. At the same time, the Cavs were playing this enormous lineup late where they had LeBron playing point guard, essentially. They had Korver. They had Jeff Green out there playing the three. They had Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love for a big chunk of crunch time. Um, and in theory, that lineup shouldn't be that great offensively, and it wasn't really. Um, but the Raptors uh, just couldn't kind of take advantage of the, the lack of offense that that, that that lineup produced. And I guess it was pretty good defensively, I suppose, just because of the size. So maybe having Fred out there wasn't the best call. Um, they, they brought George Hill in, I think, for Love a couple times. 
times to kind of switch it out, go offense, defense. But um, either way, like I, I'm not sure Fred was like the right call in that situation. I might have just had OG out there. The starters were really good in this game. Um, obviously, Fred, I think you probably trust with a game on the line, taking a shot more than OG at this point. But maybe you don't. OG's been just like killer in these playoffs and lights out and it has had, you know, balls of steel. So maybe that's uh, that's wrong to assume that he wouldn't be up to the, the task as well as much as Fred Van Vliet. But um, of course, he's been in the crunch time lineups all season long. So I see why Dwayne Casey went to him. Um, but yeah, other than that, the process, I think, was pretty good. And I think that ties into a lot of the good stuff that came out of this game. Um, if I had to say, like, the worst things that came out of it, it was, like, a lack of aggressiveness from Kyle attacking switches, which we saw in the Wizards series as well. Um, you know, he was not, he had a couple times where he roasted Markeith Morris, because Markeith Morris kind of sucks, but uh, he had a trouble attacking Marching Gortat, and that's going to be a thing. If the Wizards, if the, the, sorry, if the Cavs are going to play a conservative defense where they're switching and, and you know, dropping guys back, and, and they're not going to be, you know, selling out to, to get the ball away from the ball handlers, Kyle's going to have to do something with that. And if he's not going to be looking to attack, which he still can do and, and has shown that he can in spurts throughout the playoffs so far, it's not like he's completely washed and doesn't have an ability to sort of beat guys off the bounce. It's just a little bit more sporadic now. And if he's not going to do that with more regularity, that's going to be a problem. Um, and then, yeah, other than that, it was just brick and shots. But I think a lot of the shots kind of came within the the flow of the offense. So uh, let's wrap that. That's kind of the negative parts. Uh, let's take a quick break. On the other side, we'll uh, talk about some of the positive stuff if you're looking for optimism. Because I really do think there was a lot of optimism to sort of glean from this game. As much as, you know, we'll, we'll finish off talking about like the mental capacity stuff and all that shit um it's not my favorite topic because i don't really like trying to play doctor and you know prescribe what's going on with people's heads but um we can talk about that you know if that that you could lump that in if you're a believer that the raptors have this like weird juju against the Cavs, um maybe you lump that into all the bad stuff that happened but i i don't really totally buy into it um but uh let's take a quick break on the other side we'll get into some of the positives from game one so, we've reached the part of the show where I uh, stay on brand and uh, talk about things that uh, make me believe that the Raptors are probably fine in this series. First of all, I think the first test the Raptors passed was one of the more important ones they're going to come across in this series, and sort of the one that I was most concerned about them facing in this series. You know, coming into the series, you know, Cleveland's been screwing around with their starting five all playoffs long and all season long, but just between injuries and not really having any cohesion between anything, um, they've been messing around. Tristan Thompson started in, in Game 7 against the Pacers, but for Game 1 against the Raptors, the Cavs went back to the super small lineup with Kevin Love playing the five, LeBron, I guess, essentially playing the four, who knows, I guess he his point guard, who, who even knows at this point, uh, Kyle Korver, J.R. Smith, and uh, George Hill, uh, also filling out the starting five. A super small, very offensive look where everyone can shoot. Uh, there's lots of playmaking. I mean, the three best playmakers on the team between, uh, you know, George Hill, LeBron, and probably Kevin Love are all on the floor there. Like, that it should be a juggernaut of an offensive lineup. And I think in years past, you'd see the Raptors maybe sort of bend their strategy to sort of fit that lineup and it sort of try to limit the areas where they could be exposed by it. But instead, you know, Dwayne Casey stuck to his guns, threw out a starting five, was confident with it, wrote it for, I think, nine minutes or so. Uh, actually, it was about six minutes because uh, no one has picked up a foul. It might have been nine minutes in the third quarter. But he uh, rode with the starting five. And the starting five was incredible and did such a good job, I think, of leveraging a lot of the advantages that they had over the super small Cavs. Um, you know, Jonas Valanciunas, I guess, is the guy you start with. He was outstanding in this game for the most part. Yes, he was 7 of 19. A few missed bunnies kind of hurt that total once again, but he finished with 21 and 21. Uh, he was outstanding. He had eight offensive boards. 
Uh, 13 defensive boards. I think at one point he was out-rebounding the entire Cavs team or close to it like 30 minutes into the game. Uh, He was excellent and I I think the way that the Raptors sort of used him, they didn't abandon their offensive system per se. They used him as a pick-and-roll threat. They they had a few more engineered post-ups for him, but I think they were more within the flow of the offense. They were more, you know, quick strike as opposed to being like long telegraphed post-ups. There was one play in particular that I kind of liked. It kind of, it was... It resembled a little bit something that we might see from the Raptors in the past, but I think it was just a lot more refined and sort of featured a lot of the skills that these guys have kind of developed this season. There was uh, a trap thrown to DeMar DeRozan in the pick and roll. Uh, DeMar found a nice, you know, it was a pretty easy pass to Kyle Lowry. In fairness, he found Kyle in the wing. Kyle with a quick entry pass to Jonas with Kevin Love just on him. You know, pretty deep post position. Uh, You know, Jonas made a couple moves, a couple attempts to try to get to the rim. Nothing there. Kicked it out to Lowry. Lowry immediately re-enters the pass. uh, And then Jonas goes up, takes a shot, misses it, but catches the offensive rebound and puts it back in with sort of a little up and under finish. I thought that was just like a really nice way of not really abandoning the offense and sort of incorporating everybody. Uh, yet also leveraging Jonas Valanciunas' significant physical advantage over Kevin Love. Um, on the other end, the, the Cavs couldn't really exploit the Raptors. The Raptors, I think, did a pretty good job. For the most part, uh, early on, they were having OG Ananobi guard LeBron straight up, and it worked pretty well. Um, overall, the Cavs, I think, had like 117 offensive rating on possessions where uh, LeBron was guarded by OG, but LeBron only shot 8 of 19 against him. I think OG, considering just like the monumental task that is guarding LeBron James one-on-one, I think he did a pretty good job for a rookie in the first game doing it. Um, Pascal Siakam had a much harder, t- much more difficult time. I think they surrendered like 140-something offensive rating when he was up against LeBron. But uh, OG, with the starters, did a really good job. The Raptors did a nice job of sticking uh, to shooters and sort of limiting looks. A couple looks kind of came at just out of chaos from offensive boards and stuff. Uh, Kyle Korver kind of opened things up with a three uh, early in the first quarter that was off of a a couple misses Um, but you know the the Cavs I think to the credit of I mean maybe not to the credit just to give the Cavs a little bit of slack here their offense was not particularly imaginative early I think LeBron was very happy to kind of stand in the post and wait for 10 seconds while some off-ball action tried to develop and sort of create a shooter for him to pick out and like it worked Uh, they got some shooters they have some open they got they got some open looks for like J.R. Smith and, and Kevin Love but Kevin Love could not make a damn thing and that's been the case for him throughout the entire playoffs he was 33% from the field uh, against the Pacers 11 points a game and he was awful in this game he kind of brought it together a little bit late in the game he made that three that I mentioned in the first part of the show uh, that kind of was a bit of a, a tide turner but other than that Kevin Love got neutralized by Jonas he could not rebound uh, and the lineup for the Cavs the small starting five against the Raptors 13 minutes is the most used Cavs lineup 80 offensive rating a 127.5 defensive rating and a minus 47.5 uh, net rating with just like a completely embarrassing 31.6 rebounding percentage uh, the Raptors collected 50% of the boards that were available uh, when that lineup was out there it was uh you know, it was it was just a slaughtering. The Raptors did such a good job against that lineup. I think they were up 17-10, and then Ty Lue pulled the plug on his starters and put Jeff Green in. And then somehow Jeff Green, yeah, he comes in and goes nuts. Jeff Green had 16 points on four shots. What? <laughs> like, I don't I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. It, it's it's perplexing. It's one of those weird cabsy, you know, strange moments where a dude comes in and, and sort of plays well above his head. 
Um, but even at the same time, that lineup with Jeff Green at center had no luck defending. They were a 125 defensive rating in nine minutes. They had 146 offensive rating, but I think a lot of that was Jeff Green just kind of happening into a lot of random shit. Like, he picked up a bunch of free throws through penalty uh, situations. Um, obviously, he was 4-4. Jeff Green does not go 4-4 from the field very often. He's not a very good player, uh, but he was excellent for, for the Cavs, and that's the kind of stuff the Cavs need in order to sort of lift up the, the ceiling or the floor, I guess, around LeBron to kind of make it uh, a more cohesive team because LeBron and shooters works only if the shooters are hitting shots and I guess Jeff Green's going to burn you sometimes so I, I guess you live with that and if you're the Raptors I think you expect that's probably not going to happen again same with J.R. Smith going five to six from deep I mean that has not happened he was 31% from the field uh, sorry sorry 31% from three against the Pacers in the first round wasn't a great shooter all season I think he shot about 37% but his shot was very wayward near the end of the year uh, and then he goes five of six in game one and it's like all right yeah, that, that, that's extremely calves for for J.R. Smith to go five of six but uh, again I think that's kind of a blip that you should probably expect not to replicate itself very often um, if you're looking at sort of the grand scheme of what the Cavs do and how they perform this season yes like the you know, there's this like weird magic that the Cavs all get hot whenever they play the Raptors shouts to Channing Fry. but uh, I think you know you got to look at the full season and uh, full body of work and suggest that yeah that's probably not going to happen again so the Raptors got unlucky there that should sort of curtail itself a little bit going forward but I, I really think the way the Raptors leveraged the advantages they had against that that small starting five. Kind of, I'm not sure how often we'll see Ty Lue go back to that. And honestly, I think in the long run, that's probably a positive. I feel like the offense for that lineup would, would eventually kind of come around. You're going to have guys make shots. Kyle Korver um, and, and George Hill and whatever, they're going to make shots. And LeBron will probably be more aggressive going forward in this series as well. He was not particularly keen on taking it to OG early on. If he wanted to, he probably could have. Probably could, you know, probably could have go to OG into a couple fouls. Uh, and a few more drives to the rim, you know, probably would have helped to juice the Cavs' offense a little bit early on. But he seemed content to kind of, you know, conserve some energy. He was a little bit more aggressive late in the game. But even then, uh, he, you know, settled for a lot of dumb shots. He really did. There was a couple times where he had Jakob Pertl on him where he settled for, like, long pull-up threes. Uh, it was super bizarre, and, you know, he was pretty passive for, for the most part in this game until later on. Um, but even then, LeBron finished 12 of 30. I think the Raptors did a pretty good job defending him. Um, and But, yeah, it, it depends. It's so, so hard to say because when he's engaged and when he's looking to sort of go to the rim every single time, that's a different story, and it becomes that much more difficult to defend. Um, but just in terms of that small lineup, I'm not sure how much Ty Lue can afford to go back to that again. Um, if the Raptors are just going to bludgeon them like they did, and this was without Serge Ibaka playing particularly well early on he was much better in the third quarter hit some shots that came to him and, and you know picked up a couple rebounds and, and like kind of fit into the scheme a little bit better uh, I think he had a couple of his a assi couple assists as well which was nice to see but uh, if that's going to be the case I wonder how long it is before Ty Lue just stops using that lineup altogether and just tries to have a traditional big on the floor at all times. Maybe we'll see more Larry Nance going forward if that's the sort of template that, that, that is going to have success for the Cavs. And ultimately, I think that's probably good for the Raptors because if you have Tristan Thompson or Larry Nance out there, it becomes easier to guard. Um, you can sort of fake it a little bit and maybe have Jonas guard one of those guys. Or, or you know, if you want, you, have, you can kind of... If you can still go small with Serge, I think, and not get bludgeoned on the boards, depending on who you have next to him, although Thompson was excellent on the glass, so maybe that's only the case with Nance. Uh, Nance didn't even play last night. But again, if that's going to be the template where the Cavs are going to have success, where they have a traditional big next to Kevin Love, maybe that's what they go for. Because uh, like Love just had no chance of guarding Jonas, and, and if he's not raining threes on Jonas's head, a la Channing Fry in years past, then it is pretty untenable, I think, for the Cavs. And for the Raptors to just like squash that lineup immediately was uh, something I didn't expect. I 
thought we might see uh, the Cavs burst out on a very Cavsy first quarter against the Raptors in a game one in the playoffs, but uh, the Raptors were the ones that threw the first punch. And shouts to the Raptors for and Dwayne Casey for not bending to what uh, maybe the other team wanted him to do and sort of sticking to his guns and sticking to what's made them good all season. The offense flowed really well. Again, Kyle Lowry talked about how they were just aggressive and attacked off of misses, which they kind of went away from. There was a lot of walking it up late in the game. Uh, that you know they, they didn't really do before, even though they were forcing a lot of misses. And I guess this dovetails into the second thing that I thought was really good that the Raptors did. It was I thought they defended extremely well in crunch time. You know, there's all this talk about the the, the offense not being clutch or whatever, but. There's still this thing called defense, and they were excellent late in the game. They 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 played really good clutch defense, which has to count for something, I think. Um, I thought they did a good job. OG did a good job of funneling LeBron to the help at the rim that was in the form of Jonas Valanciunas, and Jonas did a great job, like he did in Game 6 in particular against the Wizards, of just going up and not picking up fouls, contesting shots, forcing misses. There were a few times where it looked like LeBron was going to drive to the rim, but Jonas was there, and LeBron had to put up like a weird sort of off-balanced, you know, 9, 8, 9, 10-footer that, that LeBron missed, and, and Jonas grabbed the rebounds for a lot of the time. Um, and other than that, I thought OG did a pretty good job one-on-one. He forced that miss that I talked about earlier, that one that was an air ball that Thompson picked up, unfortunately, but uh, the process there is very good, and I thought the defense late in the game was excellent. And DeMar DeRozan, man, like, he was outstanding defensively in this game. The Raptors somehow got away with putting him on Kevin Love in the post for a little while. Um, I'm not sure you want to do that on a whole bunch of possessions, but for a little while there, it worked. DeMar made a couple nice defensive plays against uh, against Love. I think he funneled them into, into help at one point. Um, and then made like a crazy strip block type of thing um, that led to a bit of a chaotic run out on the other end, but it was uh, you know it was really nice and, and, and fun and cool to see DeMar do that. He blocked the shit out of Kyle Korver at one point in overtime. And then on the last possession uh, uh, before the Raptors, I think, yeah, I think this was the last possession in overtime. Um, the Cavs' last offensive possession in overtime before the Raptors got went down to try to take the shot for the win. DeMar executed a perfect switch with OG Ananobi to get onto LeBron James, stay in front of him, force them into a shot clock violation, uh, and a, like a super contested shot that was never going in uh, that the LeBron had to put up. I think he actually, you know, leaned into a two when he was trying to get a three up because DeMar did such a great job on him. And for DeMar to be doing plays like that late in the game, that kind of shows me, at least to me, like, I don't think he's, like, scared of the moment or freezing up in the moment. Maybe the offense wasn't clicking and the looks weren't falling, but I think the defense late in the game was excellent. It was on point, and for DeMar to be playing like that, um, I think that kind of reflects that this is a different team that's not scared of the moment the way they have been in the past. If they were to be considered scared in the moment, and if you were going to have that take, which, again, I'm not a fan of because I think it's uh, one game where a lot of really random shit happened, you know, four missed putbacks at the end. That is insanely unlucky. Like, uh, I I believe Blake Murphy tweeted out uh, that the Raptors had a 97th percentile game in taking shots at the rim in terms of shot quality around the rim, and they had a 4th percentile game in terms of makes (laughs) around the rim, which is insane uh, and very random and very hard to replicate. You know, I think six of the last 17 misses of that 3 of 20 stretch uh, were all in the form of, like, weird missed putbacks, like Bismack Biombo-ass putbacks. There was a weird Jakob Pertl miss layup as well early in the fourth quarter that felt like a bit of a game-changer too. Um, just, like, a lot of very easy shots the Raptors are normally going to hit. Maybe that's nerves. Maybe that's just weird randomness. 
Um, also, I thought the process for most of the end of regulation, less so at overtime, but even then, there were some pretty good offensive possessions there. I think DeMar did a pretty good job of just kind of, you know, attacking mismatches in that, in that you know, frame of, in the overtime frame pretty well. Uh, he had a couple buckets uh, over J.R. Smith, I believe. There was a couple where he kind of passed out and that led to bad things. Um, but for the most part, I thought he did a pretty good job. There was one possession actually in overtime where DeMar passed out of a post jumper, Kyle didn't try to attack LeBron. There was an awful surge screen. They swing it back over to DeMar for a missed three. That was like a very hot potato possession, which was not very good. Other than that, though, late in the fourth quarter in particular, before overtime kicked in and the inevitability of LeBron kind of felt like it was hanging over the whole thing, um, I thought DeMar did a really good job of facilitating and not getting sort of bogged down in what he did in the in like game four against the Wizards, for example. Um, you know, There was a really great play where he you know picked up a screen. He was going downhill. He found Serge Ibaka wide open in the corner. Serge just missed it. And like... I, I don't think Serge is a dude who's shook. He's not like, this dude's been in the finals, this dude's been deep into the playoffs. This Of all the Raptors to accuse of being shook, Serge Ibaka I don't think is that guy. Uh, there was, a, you know, Jonas a couple times, also one of the least shook Raptors in playoff history. Typically very good in the postseason. He had a couple, uh, you know, drives against Tristan Thompson that just missed. He had one uh, pick and roll with Lowry late in the game. He just, he just put the push shot, the, the push shot was a little bit short. That was kind of a recurring theme in this game for Jonas, which was a little weird. But um, uh, it was just a couple of plays here and there where... If it goes in, everyone's lauding the Raptors for the culture reset and the, and the and the process that went into it. You know, the last shot of regulation, DeMar drives. It, it, we've seen this shot a million times. Like, quite literally, this exact situation, obviously a different style of play and, and sort of a uh, different sort of play, play construction. But uh, we see DeMar drive, uh, attract a ton of help at the rim. He kicks out to Fred VanVleet, wide open atop the key. Like, there's, there was a game in Detroit literally this season where DeMar saw a bunch of help, found Fred VanVleet in the corner for a winning three. Like, this is a thing that we've seen all year. This is the same process. The Raptors didn't get bogged down in, in sort of just, like, attacking mismatches and, and, you know, getting locked into iso ball like they, did, like they did against the Wizards at some points. It was very much, you like, playing within the flow of the offense. It just it didn't quite work out the way that you would hope, and they had a bunch of misses, and maybe you can chalk up 11 straight misses to being, like, mentally fragile. I don't know. I think we need a lot more than one game to suggest that they're, they're like a mentally fragile team after they just like ran over the Wizards in most of the fourth quarters they just played. Um, and when the main, the two biggest misses of the game uh, at the end of regulation, the end of overtime, came from Fred Van Vliet, the dude who gives absolutely no shits and has enormous balls. So that for me is like a non-starter for me if you're going to say like, oh yeah, they, they choked and, and sort of shrugged from the moment. I, I don't really buy that. Um, so I, I still think the process was there, and I think the Raptors kind of got the looks they wanted against the Cavs, which, if you're going forward and looking at it as a long series where things can stabilize over the course of seven games, which I think this series is going long. Like, the Raptors played a pretty good game for the most part, and there were, like, one of these, you know, misfortunate bounces away from winning the game entirely. Um, like, the Cavs still didn't play particularly well. Their offense did not execute well late. The Raptors did a good job of shutting them down in overtime in particular. Just the Raptors shot themselves in the foot by missing a bunch of shots, and a couple of possessions here and there were pretty bad. But other than that, the ones that ended in shots, I'll say, uh, usually, I don't think you could say any of their missed shots were bad looks. I think they were all looks that you hope for. Kyle Lowry missed a pull-up jumper from the same exact spot he, you know, hit a winner against the Cavs two years ago. Like, these are shots the Raptors can hit. They're shots they've hit before, um, and it was unfortunate, but I, I do think that 
the the process was there uh the the results definitely weren't and uh, again it's hard to sort of chalk up and say oh this is like because they have the calves in their head or whatever I, i think the fact that they were you know the whole like oh it's the same old raptors take is kind of wrong because the same old raptors in a game one against the Cavs would be down 35 in garbage time at that point in the game and not you know with the chance to win after leading for most of the game that was just not what happened um and the raptors i think played a better game against the Cavs in this game than they have maybe since like game four against the Cavs in the eastern conference finals like this was a complete effort uh aside from the last five minutes where the offense went cold but again i think the process was there and the offense itself wasn't like bogged down or all that particularly stagnant aside from a couple things like I mentioned the possessions where Lowry refused to attack switches um, and that was pretty much it really and a couple dumb turnovers and and just sort of dumb miscues and strange uses of timeouts and and the clock but um, I thought the rotations were fine I thought you know there was a weird moment where Pascal Siakam was playing the three that didn't work out super well I think LeBron hit a three over him but other than that like Dwayne Casey we were calling for Casey the entire first round to play the starters to close games because they were so effective. He did that. They played the last like three and a half minutes in overtime, um, and were pretty good for the most part. Uh, you know, at least defensively. You know, the the, the offense again, um, not getting the results you want, but the the process was there. And uh, I've said the process has been there 500 times. So I'm going to stop this uh, part about the, the the good parts of the game, and we'll get to a couple listener questions on the other side of this uh, next break. All right, I've gone super long, so let's wrap this thing up with a couple questions. Uh, this one here from Joe Wolfon, former guest of the show, future guest of the show, I'm sure. Uh, listen to Joe's podcast, Pound the Rock, with Will Liu and Joseph Cacharo. That's very good. Um, and read Joe's stuff, Joe, Joe stuff because he's excellent. Uh, his question, would you live with switching those LeBron and small guy pick and rolls or keep trying to hedge and recover? This is tough because I don't really want DeMar DeRozan guarding LeBron James or Kyle Lowry guarding LeBron James. I think that's a recipe for disaster. I think OG, just by size alone, you want him and just his length and sort of his obstruction that he provides. I think you'd rather try to have OG recover through those screens and, and get back in front of LeBron. Um, at the same time, maybe, you know, the way DeMar played last night and, and sort of the, the, the defensive attention he showed and then, like, the late performance he had uh, and that, that, that one switch that he had with OG where he kind of shut down LeBron, you know, maybe that, you know, gives you some leeway to maybe want to do that more. I think you're probably testing fate a little bit if you are asking LeBron to, or DeMar to switch on to LeBron, you know, pretty frequently. Um, so I, I kind of think it's okay to, you know, keep trying to hedge and recover keep trying to have OG guard LeBron as much as possible because they just think he's the best shot they have um, unless they're going to run out a lineup where they're a little bit more switchable uh, in the forward spots against the small Cavs lineups I, I think maybe you could see something like you know if you're going to go surge Pascal OG in the front court something like that or maybe even uh, if they want to go super small with like Pascal you know OG and like Miles, something along those lines. Maybe you live with switching that a little bit more, um, but I don't think we'll see that lineup very often because I don't really think we're going to see the Cavs go back to uh, to playing small that often because they got brutalized so badly in, in game one, and Tristan Thompson was legitimately good. I'd be shocked if Tristan Thompson didn't start game two, um, but again, I think that's probably a good thing in the long run because I think the Raptors are more equipped to handle a, a, a sort of ground-bound center as opposed to Kevin Love playing five, so maybe that plays into their hands, uh, but that's just me repeating myself. 
myself. Um, so yeah, I think for the most part, I try to keep having you know OG stick in front of LeBron as best as possible. I don't think any of the screeners on the Cavs are quite as bruising as or or illegal as Marching Gortat. So I think OG should have a better shot at sort of you know fighting through those screens. And also, I don't think LeBron's looking to drive all that aggressively. So I think you can afford like those little tiny gaps in space where um, you know maybe there's a window for LeBron to drive. I just don't think he wants to right now unless it's late in games. Maybe that's when you ratchet up the switching, but early in games, I don't think you should do that. I think you should probably just kind of try to play it true. Keep OG in front of him as much as possible because I think he did the best job of anybody, um, and I think he's your best chance of at least trying to make him work and slow him down. Kyle Lowry guarding LeBron James is a recipe for disaster. Don't want to see that at all. Hopefully they can avoid that. Um, so yeah, I, I would say keep OG as much as possible, fighting through screens, going under, ideally. If you're going to force LeBron to shoot, I would probably have him shoot threes, but um, that's also terrifying, too, because he's really good at that. LeBron, very good at basketball, as it turns out. Uh, But yeah, I I would say uh, I would prefer, unless it's super late in the game and you have a a, a kind of switchy front court out there, try to stick with with OG chasing LeBron around and fighting through screens the way he has, and I think he did reasonably well in game one. Um, if LeBron starts to get more aggressive and attacking, maybe you have to start to try to wall off those those drives a little bit more but with switching, but until then, uh, I think you hold back. All right, uh, let's get one more here. Ba-ba-ba. All right, last question here from Giraffes Doing Things at Low Energy Louie. Acknowledging that things get bogged down, what do the Raptors need to do differently, if anything, in late game offense to avoid such a big drop off in uh, in performance uh, I believe quarters one through three was a 120 offensive rating 80 in the fourth quarter uh, and were all those was that just because of missed layups or was there a tactical adjustment that the Cavs made that the Raptors need to do uh, sort of you know work around I think the Cavs probably started switching a bit more late in the game I think we saw Tristan Thompson being okay switching on to guys um, at the same time LeBron was very much just guarding Kyle Lowry and, and sticking with him as much as he could and that is a problem because Kyle did not look very interested in attacking in attacking LeBron. Maybe the tactical adjustment is just having Kyle attack LeBron more often. Um, or maybe you could sort of, if Fred Van Vliet's okay, if his shoulder's fine, maybe you have more of you know Fred kind of dictating things, have Kyle play off ball a little bit. Maybe you can kind of force LeBron, if you get some good penetration going, uh, you know, some sequences of driving kicks, maybe you can force LeBron into, you know, moving into free safety mode to try to free up Lowry a little bit. Maybe some more off-ball screening action for Kyle as well. Um, If LeBron's not going to be, you know, that attentive on defense, maybe you can kind of take advantage of that by, you know, running Lowry through some force of screens, maybe you run a baseline a little bit, have some pin-downs, stuff like that. Um, that, I don't think LeBron's going to guard Kyle until, you know, late in close games for, for most of the series. Um, and there might be games where he guards DeMar because DeMar's going off or whatever. Um, and that'll be its own problem. But I think, you know, had some of those shots fallen, had some of those putbacks been put back, um, I think we're looking at a much different story. And maybe Kyle's, you know, lack of effectiveness in the fourth quarter is kind of uh, not talked about quite as much. Um, and also just like, again, running off of misses. If the Raptors are going to be forcing misses, there were a lot of times where they were forcing a miss and then, you know, Jonas would grab the rebound and just kind of hold it for a second. Uh, I think because of the offensive boards that they, the Cavs and even the Wizards last round were grabbing, maybe they want to make sure they have the ball and stuff. But 
you know, I think they have to try to push it a little bit more, and Kyle has to be a, a, a big part in that. Kyle having the ball in his hands off of those boards is, is essential if they want to get the offense started quickly, and that's where you saw Kyle get that and one against Kevin Love late in the game uh, when he drove in on Love, picked up the and one Like, that was super early in the clock and very aggressive from him and attacking before the defense could get set, before LeBron could kind of pick him out uh, in the cross match, and, and I think that's going to be important. So, uh, just honestly, more aggress- aggression from Lowry, and Lowry, you know, acknowledged it before the game and it seemed like the the Raptors today were confident and didn't sound deflated or anything like that uh, at practice today from all accounts that are coming out Um, they were bummed that they lost of course but I think they were pretty excited to get back going I think they realized that they were so close and that there's things that they can do to really exploit this Cavs team and I think one of those is Kyle just getting into his stuff quickly before the Cavs can get set and just sort of dictate the the terms of the defense uh, or dictate the terms of the Raptors offense with their defense and where they have LeBron situated so that would be my adjustment other than that I think the offense once again like looked pretty much maybe a little bit more stagnant because they had like a few isos and post-ups for for Jonas worked in um but even then like I don't mind that against Tristan Thompson who you know (laughs) was good in this game has not been good for most of the season I don't mind testing those waters a little bit to see if Jonas can take advantage so um yeah I I think the biggest advantage the biggest adjustment is Kyle being more aggressive maybe he can't do it anymore and that you know caps the ceiling of the Raptors pretty significantly but I think there's been enough flashes of him doing it in these playoffs that I I think that there's still something there and this is why you keep Kyle Lowry fresh so he can go at guys and sort of take it to them when he's you know 30 minutes into a game when someone else is 40 minutes into a game um, and kind of use whatever explosion he might have you know reserved over the course of a game over the course of the season to blow by guys on switches we saw it in the first quarter there's no reason he can't do it in the fourth uh, that's gonna do it I've talked a lot I have mush mouth I am uh gonna wrap this thing up there's a couple more questions maybe i'll throw into a podcast tomorrow something like that maybe i'll just do a full mailbag um so thanks for anyone who's sending questions and i'll get to those as soon as i can maybe i'll answer them on twitter if i don't do a podcast so um thank you very much thanks to all the listeners thanks for people uh you know being cool and not freaking out too much and not getting mad at me for not freaking out i appreciate that um subscribe rate review the podcast is on itunes spotify stitcher google play all the places you find your podcast please leave a rating and a review it's the best way to help the show tell your friends tell your co-workers i uh it's very nice to uh to like come across people who uh, I met someone today who's a listener to the show who like works with my girlfriend's dad and who you know my girlfriend's dad told about the show and now he's a listener you can do that too you can have that kind of power so please do that I would very much appreciate it and uh, until next time until Thursday probably a podcast after the game tomorrow actually because it's an early start so I won't be rushing to catch a train like I was last night so I'll probably do a podcast right after the game so stay tuned for that that'll be fun uh, hopefully you can wrangle someone good up for that everyone who comes on the podcast is good so someone good will be on the show after the game from the ACC on Thursday night until then thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next time on Locked on Raptors I am out of breath <laughs>